Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. I'm just, it's one of those moments and mornings I'm looking at the baskets, about 60. It doesn't change the state of economic destitution in the entire county of Sevierville. But it does introduce a moment and visitation of grace into the lives of 60 families. And that matters because all of you matter, they matter, we matter. So it's a start. It's a chance to just insert grace. I wanted to continue this morning where I've been for the last couple of weeks from Ezekiel 37, but I've pushed it aside. And instead, what we're going to do is return in the first week in January to a series that will be entitled Speak to It. And as we enter the new year, it will be taking a posture that I've listened to the echoes long enough. They need to be silenced. I've continued to study that Ezekiel 37 passage all week long, and boy, has it spoken to me. And it's called me to a point of saying, Tom, you don't need to describe it, you need to speak to it. You're listening to the echoes long enough. Tell them to, to shut up, essentially. And that's what, that's what the text says in, in verse 4. The implication is, they're talking, these echoes are talking, you're listening, it's time for you to talk, and they will listen. God says, I'll command them to listen. So we're going to come to the first of the year and say, okay, enough, enough. We're going to speak to it. We're going to take a posture of saying, here's what God's word says. Here's what I'm going to declare, how I'm going to go forward. But today, a great place of starting our speaking to it is thankfulness. And it's not just clever or a sort of associative topic because Thursday is Thanksgiving. Just as I was talking to some pastors over the last several days and they were doing series, I was with a group of about 30 pastors and some of them were doing series on thanksgiving and thankfulness and they said hey tom uh, talk to me about that so i did and as i talked about it i literally seriously i just found myself in the grip of it and i thought man i, I gotta talk about this it's just stirring my heart <laughs> so here we go um we're gonna we're gonna talk from luke chapter 17 this morning and uh and i entitled this four or five years ago and would again thanklessness a leprosy of the soul Thanklessness, a leprosy of the soul. Now, we'll get to leprosy in a moment. Uh, my dentist is one of the elders here. And fortunately, uh, I discovered when I moved here that he was able to do work on me, Dr. Steve Madison. I'm not promoting a business. I am being thankful. Because you see, now I'm providing opportunity for endless text messages, Facebook jabs, and just mean, demeaning remarks from some of you here toward me. And here it comes. In the Marine Corps, when I had dental work done, and there were two, there was on, one on either side, and had to do with the way that as I got older and they were moving into position, they needed root canals on either side. Ultimately, they'd have to be removed because of the repositioning. But uh, the dentist in the Marine Corps said, okay, you're all numbed up. Then he started to trill, and I said, no, I can feel that. He says, well, I numbed you up. There's a nerve back here somewhere. Uh, Dr. Steve could tell you about it. And so through the years, he, they numbed me up, and they would drill. But I still felt it the whole time, all the way through. And like my feet were, if I could reach the ceiling, they would have been on the ceiling. And so the dentist in in the Marine Corps, you know, Marine, you need to man up. I've given you enough 
something ocane, lidocaine, xylocaine, something ocane, that you, you should be numb from head to toe. Well, I wasn't, and I wasn't the next time. And then I got out, and when they had to be removed, they did the same thing, and I felt it all the way through. It was horrible. And then I moved to Seaverville. <laughs> I went to the dentist, and I said, Dr. Steve, who I mentioned as an elder here, I said, I need these same teeth worked on back here, but it always hurts. It never, ever gets numb. He said, let's have a look. So he goes in and, and he said, you can really sort of feel when you get to that nerve. Well, he can. And he said, so he grabbed the first needle. And he says, it doesn't feel like I'm reaching it. He gets the second needle, which I never felt, by the way. And he says, it's still not quite getting there. He says, let me pull this out. He held up a needle. I didn't remember how long it was. It could have been that long. He said, you know, this has been in my kit for 20 years, but I've never had to use it on anyone. He said, appears as though the offset of your jaw is extremely large. Several thoughts enter my mind. One is, could you not ever tell my wife that? So, you know, he says, let me check this. Sure enough, he does it. He goes, he goes, I got it. He says, man, I'm glad I got to use this. Nobody's had a nerve that far, a jaw offset that large. It's a gracious way of saying, dude, you got the biggest mouth of anybody I've ever had come in here. But it numbed and it worked. And I thought, great new experience. I said, I knew I was not wrong. I knew that I was not being a wimp. I knew that I felt everything. I said, can you just go ahead and do both sides at once? And here it comes. He goes, no, we never do that. I said, why? He said, because if we numb both sides and work on both sides, you have no sensitivity in your tongue and you might chew your tongue off. Yeah, I know. I just, there's opportunity there as well. So I know I can see all of these text messages coming through. Oh, that he would numb both sides on some Sunday morning. You know, so, you know uh, I get that. So I'm going to take the wind out of your sails for that moment. But the, the, the point is, coming away from the dentist is funny. Because your whole face is numb and, and you're talking like this. And it's silly, right? But it's not. Why? Because you can't feel anything. Leprosy is a similar, if, has a similar effect on nerve endings. But it destroys the flesh. It, it kills the flesh that you can smell. It smells like roadkill. Uh, so I've been informed by people who have been in leper colonies. I've never been there. But they said it smells just like rotting flesh. It's horrible. But he, that, what is also noted, if I can re, re, just read this to you. Let me, let me read this. From Dr. Brand, it's from the book um, uh, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. He was a specialist that lived in places and communities, leper communities around the world and had administered and ministered and studied the disease. Dr. Brand had spent most of his time, his medical career in India, where he made a dramatic discovery about leprosy, one of the oldest and most feared diseases. Careful research convinced him the terrible manifestations of this cruel disease missing, that included missing toes and fingers, blindness, ulcers, ulcers, facial deformities, all traced back to a single cause of painlessness. 
Leprosy silences nerve cells, and as a result, it, its victims unwittingly destroy themselves. How many are hearing a sermon here already? Bit by bit, because they cannot feel pain. The gradual loss of the sense of pain leads to misuse of those body parts most dependent on pain's protection. Now, there's a great sermon here on pain, but that's not what I'm preaching about. A person, for instance, uses a hammer with a splintery handle, doesn't feel the pain, and an infection flares up. Another steps off the curb, spraining an ankle, and oblivious, just keeps walking. Another loses the use of the nerve that triggers the eyelid to blink every few seconds for lubricating moisture. The eyes dry out, and the person becomes blind. All because of numbness. Leprosy is the ultimate disease of insensitivity. The disease which numbs nerve endings and initiates a sort of self-destruction. It is that disease that is at the, the center of this Luke chapter 17 passage. It's a familiar one if you've been in, in and around church any time, but here we go. This is Jesus, by the way, while he, Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Samaria was a, a place, by the way, that they, they looked down on Samaritans because uh, four to six hundred years earlier, when the Jewish people had been hauled off to captivity, the Samaritans were the group that remained and they intermingled with the marauders that were coming through, whether Mesopotamian, Babylonian, whomever came through. They intermarried with them and they to some extent, had this syncretistic sort of accepting of some of their gods, but most of them not. But they were looked down upon because you were a traitor. You intermarried with them. That was Samaria. It's why the Jews couldn't stand Samaritan. It's why Jesus uses them in the story, for instance, of the good Samaritan that we call, because in their economy of thought, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Okay? It's like we would say here in Tennessee... There's no such thing as a good roll-tide human who would ever say roll-tide, insert Pastor Steve Rogers, uh, who I believe every time he says that exhibits the manifestation of leprosy, which is a total insensitivity to the pain being inflicted every time he says that. Would you agree with me in prayer? God help him. Amen. Okay. As he entered a village, ten leprous men, ten, everybody say ten, stood at a distance, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If you've been here any time, you know I love teaching on mercy. You can find it online. If you want to know more about that, email me at tom at New Hope Online, and I'll send you links and stuff on that. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Great sermon there. As they acted on the word of God, took a step forward and began moving. As they were going, they were healed. Look at the person next to you and say, again, he's not preaching to me, but he's preaching to you. You need to take that next step. Go ahead and tell him. All right. As they were going, they were healed. Okay. Uh, now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And Luke noted, notes in a separate five-word sentence right here, and he was a Samaritan. 
There's a reason he mentions that. And he was from Alabama and cheered for the red tide. I could guess we could make something else, you know, in the economy of Western thought. And he was related to one of the people who blew up the Twin Towers in 2001. See, I mean, they really, really had disdain and dislike. But it's worth noting here for the narrative, Luke inserts it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he was a Samaritan. Why is that? And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? These are rhetorical questions he's asking the Samaritan that the Samaritan never answers. Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now you learn he's not just talking to the Samaritans. He's talking to his disciples who are all Jewish. And he says, is there none that returned to give thanks except and give glory to God except this Samaritan? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Let me unpack that statement for you. It is important to get the fact that when he said, your faith is exemplary, do you under, you, we need to get inside that because to the Jews, the Samaritans did not have any faith at all. To the Jews, this guy had no faith, and the faith that he had was corrupted because he was part of those people. He's one of the children uh, of those people who intermingled with our enemies who crushed us 600 years ago. Dude, we don't want to hear about your faith. You don't have a faith. As a matter of fact, you're not even included. Now, this guy is part of the excluded. How many know there's sort of a humorous identity here? This guy can stand up and say, listen, not only was I part of the lepers who were always made to live and push outside the city, outside the camp, lepers are excluded anyways. But I want you to know that I had a distinctive status that among excluded lepers, the excluded lepers excluded me. Now, I want us to get inside rejection. In other words, if you think, I've been rejected, these guys all had the same disease, had to hang out, had to beg, but even among the guys with the disease and beggars, he was the reject of the reject. He was the excluded of the excluded. He had a unique qualification, and everyone understood that was supposed to be the case because not only do you have... Can you, I can't even... I've never been able to articulate this, that the nine guys said, well, our skin may be falling off, and I may be deformed and look real bad, but at least I'm not a Samaritan. I, see, I, I've never really been able to fully get inside this, but they all march off, only one returns. It's a powerful moment when he said he came to give thanks. He came to give glory to God. He was socially locked out. He was excluded. He was the excluded of the excluded. But says, when, I love this, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back glorifying God with a loud voice, giving thanks. Everybody say thanks. Now, let me tell you something here. Let's put that first word. Here comes your word study for the week that y'all can make jokes about. Again, I love this anyways. You'll get over it. I'm brave. Everybody see that word, grace? Right beside it is the, the way that you transliterate it from the Greek language. It's charis. 
Here's your, now I don't normally do this. You got to admit that. Okay, so let's go. Charis. The word thanks and thanksgiving, watch this word. It is the word eucharistos. Eucharistos. Thankfulness. But it is not only related to, but go to the next one. Notice what's right in the middle of thankfulness. Charis. Grace. Grace right in the middle of thankfulness. Now, Amanda, go ahead and give me your red light, yellow light, green light. Start loading the PowerPoint that we can review here for the 100th time. Well, that was fast. Okay. Now, Romans 5.20, watch this, says that where sin abounds, grace abounds. Does anyone recall through the years that if we were to reduce grace to a single two-word thing? Anybody remember what grace is? Pushback. You got it been hearing it here for years. 183 times this word is used in the New Testament, and it is not the sort of cosmic cloud of God's fragrance swafting around and finding us in the stench of our leprous sin that just sort of is the cologne of grace that makes me smell better. No, grace is a dynamic force because I for several months, six or seven years ago, we did a series on it, Grace Pushing Back. Is this going to work? Go ahead and go to the first one if we can do that. There we go. Uh-oh. Got them all there. Let's see if we can go one step at a time. Uh, it doesn't cooperate with my old animation often. But can we get it? or is It, it may not function with our new software because it's an old animation. But it should come up with me in the center. Let's see. Can you click on the slide display? Maybe go to the slide mode. Nope. And there's no red light, green light, yellow light. I showed you the red light, green light, yellow light the other day. It, 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 there we go. Can we see half of it? Today, folks, you came for grace, but you only get half grace. And so join me in visiting half grace. In that circle over there, with that, that's the word me. Okay? We'll figure out the technical problems in the future. That's the circle around my life. That's the boundary of my life. On the outside of my life, there's a force at work in this world. Go to the next one, please, man, to see if it shows up. There's sin. See, it says where sin abounds, where sin squeezes, pleonazo, presses in, wants to make my world small. Go to the next one. It makes my world small, but there's something that happens. Grace begins to push back. And when grace begins to push back, it's not, it says, where sin abounds, go to the next one, please. But grace abounds, it begins to push back. Keep going, okay? But it doesn't just stop at where sin started. It's a different Greek word that means overbound. Now, the good news about that is grace at work is constantly turn, pushing back the crushing restrictions of sin at work in this world. You can go read it in John chapter 3. Sin is a judgment. Sin presses our life. Now, I'm not talking about sins that you do the list of things. I mean the force of sin in this world that will show up in stupid things we do. Because when sin, the force, has its way, we sin, the act. Anger, unforgiveness, broken, whatever it may be. We lived dominated by sin prior to coming to faith in Christ by grace. Grace, we receive grace through faith. And what a wonderful thing. Grace came into your heart and it pushed back the grip of sin. But the good news it is, is this. Every day as we face the force of sin at work in the world around us, brokenness, hurt, pain, devastation, there is a force at work. How do I get that force at work in my life? Now, it says, when he saw, verse 15, 
with a loud voice. I want to focus on when he saw because ingratitude can fairly be said to be the result of being unaware. Talk to married people. Talk to people who have been married where there's no thankfulness or gratitude at work and you'll hear he doesn't even pay attention. She doesn't even notice. They're not even aware. See, and it never fixes the problem when you do something wrong or fail to do something you should have done and said, you know, I, I didn't even think about it. Who here has been married more than a minute can say, that's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. I, I really didn't do it. I didn't think about it. You, so you go from bad to worse. Great. So it wasn't something you calculated. It's just that you never bothered to even think about how I met. See, there's no good place to go. Take that from a person who did that early on and thought, note to self, new excuse, this one won't work. Okay? So always keep that. But here's the deal. Ingratitude is thanklessness. And if thankfulness delivers grace into a moment, genuine, that makes the space bigger. I'll just go ahead and keep, I didn't plan to talk about marriage. It makes the redeemed place in your marriage bigger. And I don't mean, you know, honey, let's see, list of things to do. Got it here in my notes on my iPhone. Okay, listen, thank you for, um, that's great hair you have there. That's not the thank you we're talking about. A sincere thanks. A sincere thank you. I could look at a, a number of people and I could say, Johnny Delashman, Thank you for your passion, undaunted, unadulterated, that you refuse to let anybody hold you back. It has affected and infected me more than you can possibly know, son. That passion that everybody saw here when you stood up and said, what's wrong with you? Have you not witnessed anybody in the last two days? That passion that says, how can you live 24 hours and not tell somebody about Jesus Christ? I love that. It's conviction. Because conviction takes you to a new place. Condemnation sentences you to the old place. But that words from him, they convict me to say, there's more God would do through me. Barry Sims stood up here. Where are you, Barry? Where have you hand? Where are you sitting? I don't see. Where is he? He's gone? Clearly, I don't see you. Oh, he's probably back there doing the offering thing. You saw him up there. Constancy. Constancy. Barry Sims genuinely is going to greet you with a word of affirmation if there's one to be found, and it will always be substantive. It won't ever be shallow or fake. He's going to, Pastor, I wanted to thank you for this. He'll thank me almost every week in some way that's very genuine for the teaching. Even at those moments through the years, I know as unimaginable as it may seem, when I finished one and it's been an absolute crash and burn. I know it. He knows it. But yet with sincere words, thank you for that. And he's going to find something in it that says, wow, there really was something good about that. What happened in those moments? Thankfulness releases grace. I'm hoping that my words of thanks to Johnny about Johnny has released grace. What does grace do? It emboldens and it makes our space bigger. So bless the poor hearts of the people that he will encounter tomorrow at the mill restaurant. Because no one gets away without hearing about Jesus. And what I've done today is feed a monster. 
Johnny, thank you for that passion. He's going, everyone gets it tomorrow. (laughs) Everybody. This food was cold and horrible. He's a server. This food was cold and horrible. I'm so sorry. Do you know Jesus? See, he's just going to be emboldened. Why? Because grace pushes back and makes a space. Grace delivers something into the moment. But it's not just grace to us, but it's grace through us. I want to keep saying, thankful people see what other people walk right by. Thankful people see. My prayer of thanks was on purpose. I knew what I was likely going to speak on. But my prayer of thanks for you guys was deeply sincere. And I was praying beneath that, Father, release grace into this moment, into this place as I offer that. Now, I've already told you about the Samaritans, so I can skip back that. But I want to end. um, It not only results in grace through you, but in grace to you. I have two things I want to tell you, and then we'll be done. And what I mean by that, when Jesus stepped up and said, I want you to listen and watch this guy's faith. This is real faith. That would have been perceived as an insult to those disciples who were standing there and say, Samaritans don't have faith. They lost faith. They lost the covenant. They lost it when they intermingled. They are not worthy of faith. I mean, they would get trash-talked in a minute, and everyone understood it. But it's as if Jesus shows up and he puts his arm around his shoulder, and he says, I want to tell you, you're with me. You're with me. Why is that important? Because he just reached in to the reject of the rejects. The guy understood. All likelihood, he would understand. Matter of fact, there are points of dialogue throughout the life of Christ's ministry where he points to a social status, and the person listening says, I get that. One time he said to a woman, you know, the Jews see you as, as a dog. She says, that's great. I get that. But even dogs get crumbs from the table. And he goes, I have never seen any faith like this. Powerful, isn't it? In those moments of thankfulness, I can expect not only God to relieve grace to me, but to bring grace, excuse me, through me, but to bring it to me. What do I mean by that? I want you to practice this week. I, I urge you to practice this week. I urge you to practice before you leave the building, finding someone to genuinely say, I thank you. You know, one of the highest expressions of thanks is, and I think it's the book of Philippians, it may be Colossians. I, I, I didn't reference it this morning. I was, I was actually praying with a pastor of another church on the phone, and he's just been such a blessing. And, I'm, and I referenced it mentally. I think it's Philippians where he says, I thank God for you. What higher expression of praise? Through the years I've told people, there's no higher expression of praise than I can do and say, Drew, uh, I thank God for you, son. I thank God for you being a constant voice for your children. For you to have been called by your testimony, you weren't raised in faith, grew up in faith, there's no generations of it pouring out and down on you. You found it all your own, um, you allegedly, you found it on your own, but you drew a line in the sand and said, I'm going to live this way. Uh, well, man, I just thank God for young husbands and fathers like you that say, we're going to live this way, walk that way. We're going to create. I may not have had a legacy of faith coming into it, but I am sure going to leave one behind. Amen. That's a good place to say thank you. See, that hand clap of praise is thanks. Can I tell you what just happened? 
There was grace that just flowed to him in that moment. Grace that pushed back the boundaries of his life and says, yeah, yeah, I can do this. Let me close with this. Two days ago, a pastor at this roundtable thing I was at, Pastor Scott Shepherd, he was speaking in one of the evening services, and he was talking about thankfulness, and he says, well, let me tell you about appreciation. And, and here's what he said. And when he said it, it just grabbed me. He says, in the sense of economics, appreciation indicates something gaining value. We all know we can buy things that we'll appreciate, but it's a pretty narrow box. Pretty much real estate, our home, maybe precious metals at times. You can buy a car, but it doesn't appreciate. It doesn't increase in value. You can buy a boat. I begin to think of a list of things. You can buy a boat. Uh, I, I think, by the way, Pastor Steve's legitimate sale to Tana, his wife, through the years for being a Harley rider is, baby, you need to understand that this isn't just a hobby. This is an asset for our future because it actually appreciates and value. And see, that is true, at least the second part of it. Yeah, it's a joke, but, but it is. See, some things appreciate. Is there a sense, when he said it, then of course my brain cut kicked in, and I'm thinking, does the Bible support that? Well, the word honor, tamao, means the means by which valuation is established of a thing. Thanksgiving is a way we give honor. We see it in the heavenlies when the when these 24 elders around the throne say, blessing, glory, and honor unto you, who all things exist, they are because of you. Thou art worthy. Another economic term. Worthy is the term that is axios, that describes a scale on which things are weighed, and worth is ascribed. Now see, here's the deal. We can't give worth, but when you, here's the deal. When I give thanks to Diane about her constancy of faith, and boy, leading that, that group of ministry on front lines that you're doing is just amazing. You're reaching out to first responders, bringing them all in here. None of them attended New Hope and allowing us to pray for them at graduation and thanking them for exposing themselves emotionally and physically to all the things they have and praying over them that God would touch them, heal them, and, and make them whole. Getting to do that, girl, that is amazing. Now you see, when I say that, see, thankfulness to her, what has it just done? It appreciates there's a sense of internalized value that has increased. It's not psychological, it's spiritual. There's a sense of, wow, I need to be doing even more of this. See, but here's the unique thing. When we tell God how thankful we are, we can't give him any more value. The elders appropriately said, thou art worthy. You're the source of all worth. But I'm going to come and give thanks anyways. You see, when I give thanks to you, I ascribe worth and appreciate the value of your soul. It goes up in value. When I give thanks to him, I appreciate because I can't give him or make him worth another thing. But when I come and say, Hallelujah. See, we didn't come to get anything. The little song I sang. You may ask me why I serve the Lord. 
It's not for heaven's gaze. It's not just because you healed my soul and changed my life and did these things. There's another little song that Andre Crouch wrote. There were ten men in the Bible days. They had been sick for so very long. One day Jesus passed their way. And as he spoke, their disease was healed. But they all went on their merry, merry way. Watch. But only one returned and said, I've got something, something I'd like to say. I just want... Dan, come out here. Where are you? He's only 12, so he doesn't know these songs. (laughs) B-flat. We're going to go down this guy. Thank you. I just want to thank you. Oh my, is somebody singing now? Listen, these are old thankful people singing here. Thank you. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you, Lord. He came back and said, Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you. Father, By whatever means my thanks before you, I just push aside the world, might in some way inaugurate a grace that's infused into this moment. A grace born of thankfulness that needs to touch the heart of the person on the edge of the crowd that, like the leper, feels they've been left out, passed by. They're not only left out, but they've been left out by the left outs. And they need to know, I can't put their name in the blank, but you stopped to talk to them today. You stopped to tell them that their song of hallelujah and thank you, Lord, is not wasted. You've stopped to say, that's the kind of faith I can work with. You stopped to talk to the one today who said, I'm going to sing hallelujah. Even though everything in me says there's no reason to do that. They're the one that you're going to walk over by and say, come on, you're with me. I see the song. I see the faith. (laughs) Let me give you something that you never thought you would get five minutes before. That's the up close sense of your presence. But what I ask, Father, is for grace to push back. I love you and praise you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody stand up right now. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. 
For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.